72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio. AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH What a glorious morning it is. Look at it out there. Beautiful. 78 degrees, sunny. However, it's going to get a lot warmer. Going to climb up to 91, and they even mentioned some rain showers and tomorrow possibly thunderstorms. Ah, the Southeast Ohio. Hey, we got a special edition today. We're going to learn about a special event going on down at the uh, Athena Theater on Court Street. Friend and neighbor Melena Miller joins us. Melena, let me ask you something. This um, this is a story, right? It's a wonderful story. That's right. Yes. And we're talking about a gentleman by the name of Gail Williams. Yes. Gail Williams. Yes. Now, um, this where did Mr. Williams live? Mr. Williams lived um, really almost his entire life in Santa Monica, California, and um, he recently passed away there in uh, uh, July, and so um, this is uh, the film at the Athena Cinema is about his life, and it's called Living Years. Now, um, we also have with us here, introduce your So my daughter is here from California. She is the filmmaker, Brenda Gillis, who uh, has researched and developed and made this film, Living Years. It's a a documentary short about her dad's life, and um, it has won quite a few awards at different film festivals last year. So um, the Athena had been wanting to, to show it, um, and it just so happened that they found out she was coming to town to visit with my granddaughter, Jessica. And so they were able to put it together. We're very excited about it. Wow. Okay. I, I'm, I'm impressed already. Now tell me, um, Br- Brenda, um, let's see here. This was your father. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Where do you live, by the way? I am in Los Angeles, California. Whereabouts? In the San Fernando Valley area, Woodland yeah. Hills. Sure. Well, I spent some time there with KCBQ and some other stations. Wow. Anyway, um, so um, Brenda, your dad. Yes, Gail. I'm sorry. Um, yes, his yes, name was Gail. Gail. Yes. Uh, I'm getting my names mixed up. No, no, you're all good. You're all good. Uh, Gail Williams, yes. Um, he would have been turning 84 this upcoming September 9th. And he was just an amazing, amazing man. And my dad, of course. And so I wanted to tell his story. And I thought that maybe his story of living through challenges and disability and 
uh, for over 66 years I thought might be inspirational to others. And so I thought by telling his story, that's how I could get the, the message out of hope and strength. And now, now, Somewhere I came across the fact that something hit him um, at the age of 17 or something like that? Yes. He was uh, driving back from Lake Tahoe. Oh, this is literally a hit. He was he was driving back from Lake Tahoe. They were in Lake Tahoe on a church retreat. So they were all coming back late at night. And it was uh, the day before his 18th birthday, and he was driving. And it was, you know, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. They were driving from Lake Tahoe back down to Santa Monica. And he fell asleep at the oh, wheel. Oh. And the car overturned, and there were two other people in the car. And the, one of the other passengers in the car was my, my mom, my adopted mom, and, uh, and then another friend of theirs. And when they came upon the accident, the car was on the roof, and the two other passengers, my mom and the other friend, had, had gotten out of the vehicle. And when the emergency response team showed up, they just didn't really know how to take a person out of a, a vehicle that was, you know, on its roof, and how to how to how to how to secure, uh, you know, a person in that kind of a, a, a situation. So, they they got him out of the car and um, uprighted the car and took him to the hospital, and that's where he was. And then in um, then they they transferred him back down to Los Angeles eventually after a few days. And he was there, and they, they did, you know, they put him in traction 24-7 uh, and realized that obviously he'd broken his neck, and he had a C4, C5 injury to the neck, to the spinal cord, mm. and his parents were told he was never going to walk again. And, and that's exactly what happened, right? And that's exactly what happened. So here's this young, vibrant active man who is 18 with his whole life ahead of him mm -hmm. and you know things in an instant can change and that's what happened and so now his life ahead of him he was faced with a lot of decisions how was he gonna go through his life and be successful and do you do you have any knowledge of what his goals had been before the accident it's a great question. It, he he was very ambitious. He he worked. He he really wanted to set his life up even at a young age of teenager, 16, 17. He was very active in scouting mm -hmm. and loved to be outdoors hiking in the Sierra Mountains. And so he he was very ambitious. I think he had a lot of goals. Um but that's a great question. I don't know exactly what his goals were. Um, at the age of 17, you know, <laughs> sure. who, who has their whole life planned out, but um, he quickly had to come up with a plan B, if you will. Even those that do uh, yeah. <laughs> often have to change. Right. But um, um, it still seems to me, as I am learning more and more about him, that in spite of certain restrictions, uh, and he was essentially... Um, well, like the picture here, he's in a um, a mobilized uh, wheelchair, right? 
Correct. Um, it didn't hold him back too much. Well, you have to realize, uh, Gail, I mean, Dave, I'm, I'm talking Dave. to Gail, <laughs> Dave, that, you know, uh, and I know you do realize this, but the listening audience, you know, this was in the 1950s. So that mobilized wheelchair that you see uh, with the photograph that advertises the film, Way you know, advanced, though, right? oh, they didn't exist back then. Yeah. You know, there were no handicap, uh, there were no um, real features in the disability community across the nation that could help them out. There, there were no electric wheelchairs, only manual. There, there were no what we call in the healthcare industry boogie boards for transfers and. You know, there were no um, bus lifts and slope sidewalks and all the kinds of equipment we have today. Well, also, I just want to add to that. Um, because of his injury and his paralysis, he still had movement of his arms, just mm -hmm. not his hands. Mm -hmm. And so he still had quite a lot of muscle strength in his arms right after getting out of rehab. And he was he pushed himself in the wheelchair for many years until you know, these advancements in technology and, and transportation being a, a, a motorized wheelchair really gave him more independence and I think a, a little bit of a brighter future for what he might be able to accomplish moving forward. And I think with each new technology in the world of the disabled community, um, whether it be access to transportation or technology even with computers and communication was was key was key he thankfully had his voice communication and his arm movement which really gave him a lot of uh, independence like I said but um, he he really was able to just just take these advancements and and make them work for him right and and he wanted to he wanted to take that and really spread spread that around and give that opportunity to others in similar and situations. Of course, there were some restrictions, but the, the, the bottom line is this guy was an outdoors person. Correct. And it did not prevent him from the, the wonderment of outdoors, you know? Definitely, definitely. And he, he was able to to travel I mean he he was traveling he would he had an, an accessible van that was equipped for him to drive himself wow. and we went on vacations we drove cross-country I mean he just he I'm telling you the when the wheelchair and the and the accessible van became available to him it opened up his world sure and um, like you said he he loved the outdoors I mean he traveled on airplanes he's traveled the world which is really remarkable especially uh you know in the early 70s and and even 80s when when these so advancements were still progressing i've got to i've got to ask did he have a profession yes so after the accident he went on to continue his education he went to santa monica city college for two years then transferred to ucla where he got a four-year uh, BA degree in psychology. And after that, he took a computer class and really became interested in computer programming and technology. And he then got his master's in systems development at West Coast University. Hmm. And 
he had to be carried to class because he didn't have his motorized wheelchair yet at that point. And it, 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 but you know, if if I understand you correctly, he didn't have full use of his hands. Oh no, correct. His hands so had you know, paralysis. I think, of, I think of computers and I think of keyboards. Sure. Let me explain how how he did that. So his his fingers were were like folded over. So if you were kind of making a fist, but more of a flat fist. Yeah. He was able to put a pencil in, in uh, slide it in his middle finger, and use the eraser as a pointer, basically for the keyboard. Sure. And again, we're talking about the '70s when computers were just kind of, you know, coming up, and they were massive. And and he learned uh, how to. He loved doing the programming, computer programming, and that was his profession. And he worked uh, a full time job and had a career. Sorry, I got That's okay. Okay. And um, so he he drove himself to to work every day from Santa Monica to the Valley or wherever his job was, and he he really just needed to get up, be helped, assisted into his wheelchair, have breakfast, and off he went. And he was super independent, and he would you know he was very respected in in his career. Um, and, and in his community. Now, once again, we're talking about this was your father. Correct. Um, what did it mean to you when this, let's see, you would not have been alive yet. You, this happened to him at the age of 17. Correct. Um, what, what, what age was he when you came about? So the interesting part of the story, one of the interesting parts of the story is that my mom was in the car accident at the time, and the accident was actually on her birthday, which again was the day before his birthday. And she, they were not dating at the time, they were just friends, and she went to visit him in the hospital and rehab every day, Mm -hmm. and they fell in love, and they ended up dating and getting married. And I think people are often fascinated by like who would marry somebody in a wheelchair and he was just that special of a person and she saw that and and they tried to have children and you know with with certain limitations uh, from both of them um they were they wanted to have a family and so they decided to adopt and uh they adopted a son and then three years later adopted me in uh, 1969 Mm -hmm. and they they carried on and my mom was his main caregiver you know we didn't have resources back then like we have nowadays and she was his main caregiver and it was really it it really just took a toll on her and unfortunately they got divorced uh, when I was four and but a few years later he met another amazing woman whom he married and uh, in 1978 and that's his wife of over 46 years and she's been his main caregiver and without her she he would not have lived this long his life expectancy or life expectancy of any uh quadriplegic or paraplegic is obviously less than someone who's more able-bodied um but he he's he made it he made it to 83 and he's he, he lived a long, long, full, active life with okay. thanks to, to his wife, for sure. And they went on to have um, two children as well. 
Brenda, let me let me ask about you. Okay, I'm adopted. You're adopted. There's all sorts of interesting things that go along with that. If you pursue it, you don't have to, but I do. Um, and I'm very proud of the story. I'm sure you have a similar story of some nature. But the bottom line is, um, you felt completely a part of his family, right? Totally. Now, um, forgive my poor memory. Short That's okay. Okay. He's passed now, right? Right. Uh, yes, he just passed in July. Okay. Um, how did you go about seeking a career? What was what 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 were the things that caused you to focus on this or that and then define your career? So, um, watching my dad be so active and be so successful in whatever he put his mind to, he really stressed on all of us to get educated and have an education and you know find something that we really like to do and follow that path. Um, but again. I, you know, had different plans and changed my mind a lot, as most kids do, I think. Sure. But he really inspired me to, to find a passion and stick with that. And I went to fashion school, and I had a career in that for about 10 years. And then... Um, no, fashion school. I mean, our people I, may have a certain um, guesstimate of what that means. I, I studied marketing, merchandise marketing, in... Uh, at Fashion Institute in downtown Los Angeles where I got an AA degree in merchandise marketing and so that kind of set my path for to, to work in anything really in the in the fashion industry and I chose to work in some showrooms in downtown where I was working with retail stores and mm -hmm. buyers and um, then I simultaneously it was sort of being groomed to to work in the family real estate business which was my dad's other passion and so when i you know decided to start a family of my own i sort of just you know quit the fashion industry and focused on being a parent and working part-time in the family real estate business and obviously i was working very closely with my dad and that's when i really started respecting and appreciating him for everything he was able to do and watching him nonstop work a full day, come home, have dinner, work on the computer at night with his different uh, organizations that mm -hmm. he was working with mm -hmm. and the family real estate business. And it was just amazing to watch. And I, I started thinking, I would love to tell his story and make a film, but I wasn't a filmmaker. I had no experience in that whatsoever. Well, now, now, let me just interrupt and sure. mess, mess things up a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, this film has won all sorts of awards. Now, um, and yet it wasn't your principal, um, it wasn't your goal. Your goal was to tell his story. Um, you don't have necessarily tons of training in <coughs> filmmaking or showbiz um, and yet you have really uh, made some marks with this so
How did you go about assembling the story? So I, I, I kind of went around it not maybe the most traditional of ways. I know a lot of people usually write a script or screenplay. I, I didn't. I just had the idea in my head, and I had connected up with a friend of mine from high school who was a filmmaker and a documentarian, and we had lunch one day. I sort of pitched him the idea, and he said, let's do it. And so he and I worked together for three years interviewing. He did all my filming, my editing. We worked together side by side, and he really got to know my family very intimately, and he really loved the story, and he really loved working on this project with me. And he he really was really kind of the brains behind it all, and I was just kind of hopefully being the storyteller. And he, he was amazing and, and helped put it all together and really when when we first started the project we we really got a wonderful interview with my dad before his health really kind of started going downhill from there and Mm -hmm. and without that interview which gave us a lot of of information and and stuff to work with um the other part was collaborating and getting all of the uh old footage whether it be videos or pictures and yeah, that no, that really was that was really a task <laughs> you know you think of over the years this was not um, we didn't have cell phones we didn't have all of those uh, widgets that are make it much easier to do these days sure sure um, I mean, it's really kind of remarkable that you were able to find what you did well, remarkable on, on multiple levels <laughs> in many ways, but um, one of my grandmas, one of my grandmas was a photographer, and she actually um, really documented our childhood, and she developed her own film, so we had a lot of amazing photos over our, our lifetime, and and again going back to my dad he he loved technology and so whenever there was a new camera a new video camera new movie camera um somebody in the family had one (laughs) so we we just really had an amazing amount of footage of our of our lives but again is finding it you know people most people i would think don't have it very well organized it's in a box here in the attic in the basement that's true in my home yeah Yeah. (laughs) so so finding it and pulling it together and and putting it into a 38 minute documentary was you know no no easy feat at all but it really came together and we had enough footage to tie the story in together so visually you really i think get a, a really good summary of how his life was how our life growing up was and i i think it i I i'm very proud of it i had no intention of or expectation i i should say of where it would go or what it would morph into and i just thought oh i'll submit it to one film festival and it just kind of snowballed from there and i'm i'm super proud of of the response that it's getting which means his his story is is desired by by people well you know you think of 38 minutes um mercy i i can't tell you how many how many half hour television shows there are on the air that i think are why are we watching this <laughs> um in their you know sitcoms or whatever it might be um 38 minutes 
Isn't a story like this worth a little bit more? I think so. <laughs> but, you know, I think for, for anybody that, that knows about filmmaking or about films, especially documentaries, which I've, of course, been learning all along the way, is, um, you know, you don't want to lose your audience. You may have a fascinating story and you may have a lot of information to even expand on, but it's very tricky. It comes down to seconds sometimes and, and you can lose your audience. And mm -hmm. so you, I, I have had some feedback where people have said, I want more. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to know more about this part of it or that part of it. And well, better they say that than I want less. Right. <laughs> better than they say, yeah. oh, I fell asleep and after minute three. No, 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 no. But um, no, so yeah, I, I, it, it did feel a little, parts of it did feel a little rushed only because there could have been so much more to tell about one or two of the, the subjects. But, um, you know, this was a good start for me and I really, really enjoyed the whole process of it and I want to do more. So, um, the Athena Theater uh, uptown on Court Street, folks, um, each summer does air a certain number of, do we say local projects or, or projects that have some sort of local tie and are informative, in our educational, in our en enlightening. Um, oh, there's so many descriptors we could use. Melena, tell us a little bit about that series. Well, there's, of course, the, the in the fall, starting right now with the new school year, there will be the sustainability films. and uh, But in the summer, <coughs> you know, when the student population, for the most part, is not here, there are a lot of opportunities for the theater, for the Athena Cinema, to do things they don't normally get the chance to do um, to keep that livelihood going and, and the patterns going for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and Alexandra Camity, who runs the, the Athena Cinema, had actually seen this film a couple of times last year. Um, she has, um, in the fall, usually in September, she participates in a statewide um, disabilities uh, film festival, if you will, and um, she had wanted to get this in last year, but was unable to do so. And she said, oh, I really want to have an opportunity to bring this to Athens. Is there any way we could do this? Well, Brenda had actually submitted the film for the Athens Film, our film festival. But as you probably know, I know the community is aware that because of the pandemic, our spring film festival was delayed last year. Right. And so all of those applicants and those who were successfully chosen, those films were not shown until the fall of 2021. And so there was a spillover. They couldn't show all the films of the successful applicants, so they had to put some of them in the spring of 2022 along with a portion of the ones. I feel like maybe that's why Brenda's film didn't get into this particular film festival. But I have attended um, the Burbank Festival, um, Oceanside, California, went to Santa Monica. Uh, it was, you know, a, a film like this, well, any of the films in the film festival are normally put into blocks, what they call blocks. So they'll be back-to-back -back with three or four other films, like-minded films. Um, and I have to say that her film held up really well with some 
extraordinary documentaries, really. Now, you normally go to a movie theater expecting to be entertained. And um, entertainment can be um, thrilling, it can be comical, it can be uh, romantic, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you had to pick one word, um, Brenda, that, that kind of, what, what's the outcome? of watching this inspiration okay I like that so um, and I might add Dave I, I, I think it's inspirational not just for those in the physically challenged community mm -hmm. I, I think as Brenda said earlier, you know, when you're 17 and 18, we have all of these young freshmen now who have come to school here at Ohio University. I would venture to say um, very few of them really have a plan. They, they don't have a life plan. They probably don't even have a plan for which uh, department they want to be in or what career direction they wish to take. So I think this kind of film this man's life has been so full and so rich and the things he has accomplished are phenomenal at any level and I think that any 17 year old or 18 year old or anybody at any age looks at a film like this and says wow you know I've got to quit feeling sorry for myself I mean there isn't anything there are so few limitations really on our lives but I think it takes someone like Gail Williams to remind us of that. Well, so this is being shown when? At the Athena Theater. Right, tomorrow night. That's Tuesday, August 30th at 7 p.m. The, the film is actually being shown for free. So it's a 38-minute film. Brenda will be there to speak with the audience afterwards if there are questions and so forth. So the Athena always likes it when the filmmaker's there. Yeah, sure. Um, the f tickets are free, but they've already probably booked 60 or 70 seats. So it's advisable if you have an opportunity to go, go there or give a call or something, uh, get a ticket sort of in advance if you can. Um, and so it should be pretty exciting. Now, the... Um the Athena Cinema is um, running some other similar type programs, right? I don't know what else is going to be shown in the other theaters tomorrow night. Um, as I said, you know, usually sh this film would be part of a block, mm -hmm. and that isn't happening tomorrow night. So it's so a standalone tomorrow. It's a standalone, okay. and I think that's part of why it's being done that way is because the filmmaker is here and so the audience does have the opportunity to ask and I think uh, I ran into a couple film students grad students here at our film department which as you know Dave is pretty well known um, mm -hmm. Steve Ross has been the director the head of this film department at Ohio University for many years he came to us from New York he had a terrific background before he came here. I believe this is his last year for the department. And a couple of the students um, with whom I spoke were so excited to think about talking to somebody who had no background in film. 
you know, um, so you come here, you decide to go into film. Well, as a student, maybe you've had no background in film either. But this is a young, this is a woman who has had no background in film, but had such a desire to tell this story that her, I think, questions about her research, her editing, her, you know, aside from the intimacy of the subject, there are some really um, incredibly important questions that can be asked about this experience that that perhaps they are not getting from their academics necessarily, but, you know, I think it's inspirational in that way, too, you know? And you're, you're speaking of Brenda, who's with us here today. Exactly, yeah. yes. And I think she's an inspiration to those young film students who can't imagine um, even attempting something like this if you've had no even formal studies in filmmaking or you've never held a camera before, you've never done editing before, you've never told a story. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter how much she loved her dad. All of those other things to make a film like this and then to make a film that was ha has had its real success, too. I think it's a, a challenge that would be of interest to those students, too. We have a caller. They're, uh, let's see what's on their mind. Good morning. Let's see here. Did I hit it wrong? Hello. Oh, I thought I did. Okay. Well, let's see here. Um, caller, please redial, and I'll try to do a better job here. <laughs> um, let's see here. Hello. Hello. There we go. Wow, this is fascinating. This is J.W. Smith. I will be there tomorrow. Oh, thank you. That is fascinating. I... I just happened to turn on the radio, and um, you know you, how you come across something and you just stop, and I was like, wow. And I think it's just timely to be there. So I want to, <clears throat> what, do you know the number I need to call to get a couple tickets uh, for tomorrow night, or? I, I, Mr. Smith, I'm Melina, and I've met you before. I, I've been working on the Mount Zion Restoration oh, Project yeah, 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 for yeah, some yeah. time. So I will see to it that I get you those tickets uh, sometime today. Save me two spots for tomorrow night. I'm going to save them for you, and I'll put them in an envelope with your name on them. Oh, I love it. This is fascinating. <laughs> I'm um, so, so glad much. you're going to be you. there. That's great. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to make one comment. Some people... I had a friend who uh, went to university here. Um, I don't know if you knew Court Schneider, but he had titanium crutches. Uh, oh, but yes. he got his PhD, and he's going on to great things. But he he um, he was also like a poster child for Easter Seals when he was younger and all that. And when he was coming up, he was very um, angry when people would say uh, he was inspirational, his life was... But as he got older, before he left her, he said, you know what? Now I get it. Uh -huh. He said, it's not so bad to be inspirational. Right. He said, if it <laughs> works, it works. And so when, you, when Dave asked you, what's that one word, and you said it, inspiration, I think that's, not, that's a great thing. Uh, and I just think we need more of that in this day. Absolutely. And so, I, you know, I don't know why anybody would be ashamed of being inspirational. Well, I know, Dave, you don't get it because you're not, you're not from the differently abled community. But it can be tiring being inspirational sometimes. Okay. Like, because people, people expect you not to be human, not to, you know, if you're inspirational, you don't get mad, you don't get angry, 
you don't, you can't, you know, you, you just got to be almost perfect and angelic. And that gets tiring. And also, I think people like us who are differently abled, uh, you know, we, it, it's a burden um, when people say things to us like, um, wow, imagine what you could do if you weren't blind. Mm. Okay, well, think about that. What, yeah, what that, are you that, saying? That's bothering, bothersome. Yeah, if I weren't blind, I might not be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> True. Well, that's that's interesting you said that. And, and I think in my dad's case, and I, mm. I, I've met a lot of people from the disabled community um, mm. growing up my whole life. But, you know, I think my dad and I think a lot of other people that are disabled don't mm. want their disability to define them. That's right. And so they that's why they, I think, become so inspired themselves to be able to push on and move that's and right. move on and and do the best that they can with what they have been dealt with or given that's and right. and so they don't they you know they they my dad did not want to be defined by his disability that's, that's why right. he he did everything he could to make it seem as if he was so able just mm. like you and me or whoever yep, and whomever. and right. uh, and he he wanted people to look beyond that and in fact growing up a lot of my friends said oh, i didn't even know your dad was in a wheelchair like mm -hmm. you, you just you mm -hmm. really he just made you feel so confident and comfortable around mm. him that mm. you really did pretty quickly look mm. just past that you know mm. and and so that was really you know i mm. hope that that's can be inspiring to other people but not wow. not have that be defined by that you know yeah. i'm looking forward to being there tomorrow night i just want to say one other thing you made just a very good point um like when you communicate or have interaction with temporary able-bodied people uh, as a differently abled person, people tend to think that, okay, what does the temporarily able-bodied person have to do? But like your dad and me, I have an obligation to make you feel comfortable too. I have an obligation to make you feel, see my humanity. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, an issue of reciprocity. We both have to work at it to connect. Exactly. And exactly. I can't wait to be there tomorrow night. I was, I was supposed to hear this. I had no intention of hearing <laughs> it, but I'll be there tomorrow. I'm so happy. Thank you. I'm Thank you to so it. much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm still listening. Thanks okay. for calling Thank in. Bye-bye. And, you know, Dave, that brings up another point is, um, as Brenda's birth mother and someone who's just been actively in her life the last 30 years, so I was actively in Gail's life the last 30 years. In fact, at the time Jessica, our, our oldest here, my oldest granddaughter was born, um, I was there for about five or six months working with Gail. He had been um, uh, given the... <laughs> the challenge of being executor of a man's estate it was a it was a huge undertaking and physically uh financially everything and so i went to work with him uh to help finish that estate and so forth but you know back in those days when i would tell my friends back here in athens that you know well gail and i went out for lunch and um he drove us in his van and they'd say what How, what do you mean he drove you in the van and um uh, it was, you know, it was nothing. I didn't think a thing of it. But these last 13 years, um, he became, um, he, he, he became uh, even more 
challenged by the fact that he had to wear a permanent tracheostomy. And with a permanent tracheostomy, of course, it really requires 24-7 care. I mean, you cannot be left alone at all. So his limitations became more profound this last 13 years. And he was unable to do those wonderful trips everywhere, unable to take himself to a UCLA game by himself in the van, those kinds of things that he had become so used to doing. So, you know, again, he was challenged in a whole new way, and he made the best of it, Brenda. Yeah, he did. He really did. Brenda, this has been a project for you, um, and it's been successful, and it's going to be shown tomorrow in Athens. Right. But, but, but what, what else are you doing? <laughs> well, uh, after, after this, I, I've got, I feel like I've got more stories to tell um, about my life, which I feel kind of it's, it's not just about my life. My life would not be a life without so many other people, obviously. Um, so I don't know. I, I might want to work on my story, um, you know, and I'm just going to I'm going to finish this wave out and I'm going to try to get a distributor and get this film out there um, to maybe free up some time for me to work on some other projects. And, and again, you live where? Los Angeles, okay. Woodland Hills, California. Well, I know that area fairly well, but um, it's. Yeah, I don't. I <laughs> well, I just can I just say a quick thing before before we run out of time. Yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you so much to Melina for, wow, thirty years of love, support, respect. Um, she's okay. She <laughs> <laughs> she's she's really uh, brought brought joy to my life and my family's life, and um, she's also brought some color, which I love. She's really been a light a shining light in our lives in many many ways and I also want to just say thank you so so much to the Athena Athena theater mm -hmm. for take you know taking the time to show my film I'm, I, I I don't take these things for granted I'm so completely 100% grateful for the opportunity yep. and I'm so grateful for anybody that is going to come and 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 watch it and have an experience and I just I want to just say thank you yep. a little Help me a little bit, Melinda. Um, the uh, the Athena Theater is now under the operation of the university, right? Right, and of course, it's the Athena Cinema. It, it's now called, and of course, upstairs there are classes being held for OU film students, and then the downstairs, and there are also um, theaters upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe that you know over the years you'll see you'll see films uh, they really take a chance you know they, they stretch themselves to encompass theater to encompass films that you simply wouldn't see in some other venue um, and part of that's through the university uh, this young woman Alexandra Camity and her staff Phoenix and all the rest of them I mean they do a terrific job uh, Yang, the cameraman, is, uh, you know, they're just all uh, very, very um, uh, 
just helpful and interested and you know every new ex- every film is a new experience for them and they put their heart and soul into it so i think they are really indicative of what our film school at ohio university is so proud of and so famous for you know we we have a great film school here now once again folks just to wrap this up because we're running out of time <clears throat> tomorrow's film this 30 how many minutes 38. 38 minute long film. It is being shown at what time? 7 o'clock. 7 p.m. at the Athena Cinema. You need to get your tickets early if you can, please. And, um, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, um, this is uh, called, the film is entitled Living Years. That's right. Correct. The story of Gail Williams. And, um, see his relationship to you Melina well he is the adoptive dad of my child of okay. my daughter okay and and uh, a good friend and Brenda Williams Gillis um, is the director and writer uh, for this this um, this show um, can can I also just put a little plug in for my uh, website? <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, if anybody are would you, like are you to. Are talking about livingyearsfilm.com? That's it. Okay. So what, what, what would we see there that is important? There you will see a bio both on him, uh, Gail, and also myself. And uh, you'll see uh, the trailer for okay. the film. Nice. And we're, we're constantly updating the website. So it'll have information on, you know, either upcoming uh, screenings or upcoming events related to the film um, and hopefully in the next maybe month or two we'll we'll get the we'll get the streaming platform on there folks we're out of time but once again the website livingearsfilm.com uh, Brenda thank you Melena thank you and uh, thank you Thank you so much. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-N-S. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez in New York. It was a no-go for NASA's mighty Artemis moon rocket this morning. Correspondent Peter King was up bright and early at Kennedy Space Center. It's not what NASA wanted. Launch Director Charlie Blackwell-Thompson has called a scrub for today. But it's important that everything work as planned on the brand new rocket and spacecraft. The issue that uh, came up was an engine bleed that uh, couldn't be remedied. In plain English, it was the inability to chill down one of the four main engines for the space launch system so it can fly safely. Engineers are trying to find out why that long-practiced procedure did not work. They hope they can fix it on the launch pad. NASA's next launch attempt could come as soon as Friday. Supermarket workers in Bend, Oregon scrambled for cover when shots rang out at their Safeway. Me and three other employees ran into a walk-in refrigerator and closed the door and stayed there. We stayed hidden until the authorities arrived. Police say a gunman shot and killed two people at the Safeway. They say the suspect was dead when they arrived. The chief says officers did not fire their guns. Police are looking for two suspects in the shooting of an NFL player. CBS's Steve Kathan. Brian Robinson, a rookie running back for the Washington Commanders, was shot during what the team says was an attempted robbery or carjacking in D.C.
The 23-year-old is hospitalized with what the team says are non-life-threatening injuries. An official in southern Ukraine says the country is launching a counteroffensive to retake occupied Kursan. It comes as U.N. inspectors make their way to a nuclear power facility in southern Zaporizhia. The team will assess any damage from recent shelling near the Zaporizhia power plant and perform safety and security checks if the Russians let them, says Ukrainian presidential aide Alexander Rodnyansky. It's unclear whether they will have enough information to really have a good picture of what's going on. Accusing the Russians of using the same obstructive tactics the Iranians have employed over their nuclear inspections. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. LG is teaming with Honda to build an electric car battery plant in the U.S. They say it'll cost $4.4 billion and produce batteries exclusively for Honda vehicles. The exact location hasn't been decided yet. A reggaeton star does double duty at the VMAs. Bad Bunny won Artist of the Year. CBS Entertainment's Dana Cortez. Bad Bunny made history by becoming the first non-English artist to ever win the prestigious award. The announcement was immediately followed by his performance live from his sold-out show at Yankee Stadium. Taylor Swift won top prize video of the year and announced she has a new album coming out October 21st. Dow down 208. This is CBS News. You need to hire fast and hire right? You need Indeed. Their all-in-one hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates efficiently. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Ray Maliazzi here for eBay Motors. So you have to drive 300 miles to your cousin's wedding. Okay, so it's his fourth. But you know what they say, fourth time's the charm. <laughs> well, here's the problem. Your tires are as bald as I am. But lucky for you, eBay Motors has tires for just about every make and model. Plus wheels, lug nuts, jack stands, and more. 122 million parts. Do they have tissues? Oh, good, because I'm definitely a crier. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBay Motors. Let's ride. Ask Sherwin-Williams during the Endless Summer Sale, August 26th through September 5th, and get 30% off paints and stains with prices starting at $29.39. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And, of course, 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. One of the greatest tennis players of all time begins what's expected to be her final run. Correspondent Jerika Duncan is at the U.S. Open in Queens. Determination, drive, and sheer dominance. And it's Serena time again. Over 27 years, Serena Williams served, volleyed, and slammed her way to the top of the tennis world. Her career highlights can hardly be matched. 73 singles titles, 23 singles grand slams. Her first of those coming right here at Flushing Meadows in 1999 as a fierce 17-year-old. Starbucks' usually popular fall drink has some in-house competition. Put a little cinnamon in there. Put a little nutmeg in, too. The chain officially releases its pumpkin spice latte tomorrow and a new apple crisp oat milk macchiato. Starbucks' first non-dairy autumnal offering. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. 
It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up, MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian health care sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 27 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 866-88-BIBLE. That's 866-88-BIBLE. 866-88-BIBLE. And now, Scott Daly joins you on a musical sentimental journey with the best golden sentimental songs of the good old days chugging along the musical railways in the musical history on old number 97 on 970 WATH and 97.1 FM. At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. That symphony of engines roaring in perfect harmony. It's a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Monday morning edition of Sentimental Journey on 97WATH. And we're glad you have tuned in here to enjoy some tunes from decades gone by. As old number 97 is loading up, pile in those passenger cars as we always do. We're heading out through the beautiful hills and valleys of southeastern Ohio. A little breezy at the moment. And uh, I'm going to call it hazy sunshine. Right now in the Athens area, we are up to 81 degrees already. Humidity reading at 75%. At 9 minutes after 10 o'clock, we listen to the tribute song to Dad, who hosted this program for so many years. And as always, I'm proud, privileged, honored, and blessed to continue his legacy and all of his sentimental journeys here at 97WATH. So stay tuned for lots of fun, lots of music, 
as we delve into the archives of a lot of those great tunes of years gone by. All here at 970 WATH. And with that, all aboard and here we go. (laughs) 